amazing. All right, so uh, I have the honor of inviting up uh, our guest speaker today. Uh, for you, those of you that don't know, uh, the past few weeks uh, I've been uh, doing something called Preaching Boot Camp, where uh, uh, we have a huge empowerment culture here. We want to empower people into their callings. So last week, if you weren't here, Issa preached for the first time. And uh, today, I'm super excited to invite Daniel Berry up. Come on. And uh, Daniel is uh, our, one of our home group directors alongside his wife, Maddie, and they're dear friends of ours. And uh, this is his first time ever preaching. And uh, so we have been training them for the past couple of weeks, and we're super excited. And uh, I, I'm just really excited for what the Lord's going to do. And uh, it's going to be an amazing word. I, I heard it a few days ago, so it's going to be amazing. So bless him. All right. No pressure following up after all that. Thank you, God, for just the incredible time of worship. Thank you, worship team, for stewarding that. Thank you so much. It was incredible. Uh, well, yeah, real quick, Andrew introduced me, uh, Pastor Andrew introduced me, but my name is Daniel Barry, me and my wife, uh, we are the Breakthrough Home Group Directors. Uh, we've been here for around three-ish years, and through Breakthrough, we have received so much healing, so much transformation for all the things that God is doing in this community, we are just amazed. And we've gotten the chance to watch our children step into things that we could have never imagined growing up. So we have been incredibly blessed uh, by this community. And I'm so thankful that Andrew and or Pastor Andrew and Pastor SB, they saw something in me to uh, bless me with the opportunity to share. So with that being said, uh, I, I also... Before I really get started, I want to shout out. So uh, Maddie and I are celebrating our seven-year anniversary tomorrow, which is incredible. It's incredible. And we've actually been together for 11 years now, uh, or 11 years in August, technically, which is even more... But uh, the, the crazy thing is, is that two weeks into our relationship, we were high school sweethearts. Two weeks into our relationship, we knew we were going to get married. But about five months or so after that, Maddie and I, we were going around the town, we were just looking at houses. Have you, have you, has anybody ever done that? Like you don't have any money to your name, you're just going around kicking tires and can't even rub two pennies together. Well, that was us. And uh, so we, we had come across this house Big, big house. I still remember it was in Canton, Georgia. It was uh, right off of Bell's Ferry, if any of you are familiar with that area. But I remember seeing this house, and we were like, oh, we really want to take a look at this house. And the house had actually just been taken off the market. So we couldn't call a realtor and be like, hey, you know, can we take a look at this house? And then be like, oh, yeah, are you pre-approved? And we'd be like, what is that? So we, we go to this house that we couldn't call anybody about, and we're looking around the house, we're looking in the windows, we find a window that's open, and legally I uh, advise you not to do this, but we went into the house, it was abandoned, uh, and we were just dreaming. And inside that house, God gave us such a vision for our life. Such a vision for our life. The thing that we saw in that vision was our home, not our house, our home in a darkened neighborhood and light and life and beauty was just pouring out of every door and every window. And man, that excited us. 
And we were sure it was going to be that house. We were, we were absolutely sure it was going to be that house, that our home would be that house. Uh, the $425,000 house uh, that wasn't even on the market anymore. So uh, we, you know, <laughs> I was making $4.25 an hour plus tips at Sonic. Uh, so let me just clock in for an 11-year shift. Uh, that was incredibly discouraging. And so we kind of had to gather up the pieces of our heart towards this house. Uh, but that vision, that vision of our home, specifically our home, carried through. At every step and every stage of our life, that, that vision kept poking in in our mind. And it kept shaping consciously and unconsciously what we were doing. And how many of you know that God absolutely loves sharing his vision and his promise for us in times of community and intimacy. Ah. <laughs> like I said, that vision kept us going. It kept shifting our perspectives into what we were going to be doing. And God was so excited with us. He wants us to be excited about the things that he's showing us or else he wouldn't show us the good things at the very least. So to get started, I wanna talk about one of the most famous promises in the Bible. So let's, let's flip in our Bibles into uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse one. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Hmm. So the title of today's message, are you guys ready for that? Are you ready for the title? Pushing the promise. Look at your neighbor and say, don't push the promise. Don't push the promise. So I want to pray in, and as I'm praying, I want you to think about the things that God has said to you over your life, the, the vision that he's casted over you, the promises that he's made to you. Whether that's you're going to be free from this pain, your marriage is going to be restored, you're going to be free from this addiction. I want you to think on these promises as we go into this. But Jesus, thank you so much. Lord, I just pray right now that you give me wisdom and experience, but Lord, that you get me out of the way. Holy Spirit, come and speak. Anything that comes from me, Lord, let them forget it. Anything that comes from you, just write it on their hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So the promise, the, the call of Abram in chapter 12 is 
pretty dense. I don't know if you guys really realize how dense that promise is. Uh, but we're, we're going to take a closer look at it. So we're going to move a couple chapters forward into uh, chapter 15. And this is a little bit later in time. Abram has walked about a thousand plus miles at this point. Uh, he's survived a famine. He's gone down into Egypt and had that whole business with his wife and the Egyptians. Uh, he was blessed by Melchizedek. So a lot has happened and he is, he's a, a little bit wiser man uh, but we're going to read in Genesis 15, uh, verse 1 through 6. So after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And then if we jump over to verse 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Ooh. There you go. God just outlined Abram's life right there. In, in one, one promise, there's, there's a little bit of gap of time where Abram makes a sacrifice, but in one promise, God outlines this entire thing. However, when we get a vision from God, when we get a promise from God, how often do we fully trust God with the timing and the process of that promise? Did Abram? Did Abram trust the timing and the process? Let's, let's read a little bit ahead. In the very next chapter, in chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, that it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. So did Abram trust God's timing? Well, absolutely, he did for 10 whole years. For 10 whole years, he trusted this promise. He trusted until he started to get a little bit antsy. I mean, rightfully so, Abram was 86 and Sarai was 76. So, I mean, I would understandably, if I was in his shoes, I'm old and I'm only getting older. So, of course, I'm going to doubt. But even still, they pushed the promise. Boy, don't we love pushing the promise. A little while back, uh, Maddie and I, for our current home, and I, I do say home, we were buying furniture, and I, I absolutely loathe Ikea. And every time, every time I start to forget just how much I loathe Ikea, we end up going to Ikea and getting a ton of things that invariably I'm going to have to build. 
Is anybody else the resident builder of IKEA things in their household? Yeah, yeah. So you guys know how I feel. Well, I, I begged. I begged against IKEA. I was like, oh, well, we can find cheaper, better things online, I said. We won't have to drive two hours to get to IKEA, I said. Um, so Maddie agreed, and she ended up finding a couple things on Amazon. All hail our Amazon overlords. Anyway, she found, she found some things on Amazon that, you know, looked nice. And so she ordered them, and a couple days later, our porch was absolutely littered with boxes of nondescript origin. Um, as much, as much as I loathe IKEA, their instruction booklets are pretty great. They're like Legos for furniture. The Danes and the Swedes, they know how to do this stuff. So I was missing IKEA after looking at that first page of the instruction booklet. For, I stared at it probably for 15 minutes trying to decipher these hieroglyphics. And after that, I was like, you know what? I've got my drill, I've got my hex bit. I'll just you know, go to town. I have the picture on Amazon of the finished product. So I'll just wing it and see what happens. And by the time I was done, there were a ton of those tiny little wooden dowels all over the place. I, like, I had no idea where they went. There were a ton of screws that because I used the drill and the hex bit, they were stripped now. And so I was like, all right, whatever. And this... This dresser, it looked acceptable. You know, at a glance, if you squint, it looked fine. But it was flimsy. The materials were garbage. And it felt like a strong breeze could just like knock it over. So needless to say, I did a couple of things wrong. I pushed the promise, I pushed the process, and I settled for a substitute. Sometimes we feel like these pushes of promise are from places of excitement. And I, I want to examine that a little bit closer because does it seem like Abram and Sarai were excited to have a child through Hagar? To me, it doesn't seem like excitement. To me, it seems like a combination of fear and pride. Fear says, I'll die before I receive the promise. And pride says, well, I have a better idea. These responses were responses of the flesh. How many of you know that acting in the flesh gives you a child of the flesh? And, and submitting to the spirit gives you a child of the... Hmm. The truth was, Abram and Sarai weren't ready for the child of promise, for the child of the spirit. Their pride said they were, but God knew that they wouldn't be able to sustain the promise if they had received it at that time. We kind of have this benefit of stepping outside of time and looking at this story kind of non-linearly. Like we know, we know that the child of promise comes. We know that Ishmael is not the child of promise. But we also know the test that comes with the child of promise. So imagine, if you will, step back a few years, 10, and we take a look at Abram's life when he was 75, and God appears to him and says, here's Isaac, gives, gives him a child. That's great. That's amazing. That's already an incredible miracle. 
But imagine if the same test came. Abram, sacrifice your only son. How do you think he would have responded? Abram, this is the same man who lied twice about his wife being his sister. Twice. Do we really think that Abram would have trusted God to provide the sacrifice? No, there are a couple things that had to happen in Abram's life before he would have been ready to sustain the promise. A promise of God is not something that we can attain or sustain on our own. Imagine if Maddie and I, two high schoolers, 425 an hour plus tips at Sonic, got that $425,000 house. We would be upside down in it so fast, aside from the provision of the Lord. But we weren't ready. There were so many things in us that had to grow, that had to change. Our perspective had to change. So, but I want to show you something though. Does God punish Abram for having Ishmael? In the very next chapter, God reaffirms, say reaffirms. God reaffirms his promise to Abraham. Did you catch that? God gave him a new name too. So let's read in Genesis 17, 15 to to 21. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her, and I will bless her. She shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man as a hundred years old? Sarah, who is 90 years old, shall she bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, no, but Sarah, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Real quick, Ishmael's name means God hears. Let's continue. I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will birth to you this time next year. So we get a couple of things from this. This is 13 years after the birth of Ishmael, the child of the flesh. We, we know But now Abram, or Abraham, knows that Ishmael is not the child of the Spirit. He's not the child of promise. Sarah will actually birth the child of promise. And the child of promise will receive the full blessing. He will receive the blessing. But the child of the Spirit will still receive, or the child of the flesh will still receive a blessing. Does that mean there weren't consequences for having Ishmael? Goodness, no. (laughs) If you look in the Bible, Ishmael is kind of a problem for Abraham and his descendants. They're kind of a thorn in their side. And I mean, the angel of the Lord even describes the yet unborn 
Ishmael back in chapter 16 as a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen to the boy's own mother. And we read on, we find out he was right. Obviously, the angel of the Lord was right. But he was still blessed. The child of the flesh brings its own consequences. But he was still blessed. In all of its flaws, that rickety old dresser that I built, a rickety new dresser that I built, it still serves a purpose. I didn't just throw it out. It's not my main one, don't be, don't be misled, but it does still serve a purpose. My main dresser came from Ikea. <laughs> so in a similar way, Isaac, the child of the spirit, the child of promise and of patience and of faith, the son of laughter, came from God and was the thread through which God would continue his promise and continue his plan. Abraham had to endure that growing season because he couldn't just rest when Isaac arrived. Like I said, we know the test that comes. So how many of you know that the promise is not the prize? John Bevere he frequently poses this question about Exodus specifically. And he says, when Moses was leading the Israelites out of, G- out of uh, Egypt, where was he taking them? Moses says it to Pharaoh five times, let my people go, or the, the Lord saith, let my people go so that they might worship me in the desert. Why would Moses lead them out of Egypt and into the promised land without first introducing them to the promiser? Why would God lead Maddie and me into a house and into a promise without first showing us the nature of the promiser? Why would he take you from that promise, that vision that he gave you? Why would he take you from that directly into it without first introducing himself to you? If that chain... The promise is not the prize. The the promise is what God shows us to help us motivate through a season of growing into a place of deeper relationship or deeper reliance on him to further his kingdom, not to pat our own pockets or to boost our own ego. It is not a reward, but it's a result of or a byproduct of us coming into closer relationship with the Lord. I want to read that again. A promise is not a reward, but a byproduct of us coming into a closer relationship with the Lord. If that chain of events was jumped, we would have not had the character. Abram would have not had the character to sustain the promise. In that quote from John Bevere earlier, he goes on to say that if Moses would have led the people straight into the promised land, the people would have turned the promised land into a place of idolatry. They weren't ready for it. They still had some, some things that they needed to get worked out of them. So you're looking at me, you're listening to all this, and you're saying, okay, Daniel, what can I do? God has given me a promise. God has given me a vision for where he's leading me in my life. Well, first off, let's understand what our default is. We can actually see this in Galatians, 
when Paul is talking about the relationship between Isaac and Ishmael. So let's flip over to Galatians 4, 22 through 31 real quick. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she's in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those with the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of the promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so it is also now. But what, is that, what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son of the free woman, or inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave, but children of the free woman. Before we knew Christ... Our default was the flesh. Our default was responding out of bondage and slavery. What is a promise to someone in captivity? How would you respond to a promise if you're in shackles? Doubt. I'm in shackles. What can you do? Anger. How dare you tempt me with a good time? But a child of the Spirit... Walking in the fullness of freedom has the full capacity to trust and rejoice. God, I trust that your plan is going to come to fruition. God, thank you for bringing this to me. Thank you for telling me. So what does that mean practically? Let's look at what Abram did right. Three major things that created the foundation for Abram's transformation that we can apply to our own lives. Follow in communion. Follow in obedience. Follow in reverence. You say, Daniel, what does that mean? Abraham's, Abram, his story started with God meeting him. After God met him, he gave him a command. Go to the country that I point out to you. And almost everywhere Abram went, he went in reverence and he built an altar to the Lord. These three steps were a cycle that kind of turned into a drill that continued drilling down into the presence of the Lord. Each moment of communion pushed Abram into deeper obedience 
First, it was go to the nation that I point out to you. Then it was make this sacrifice. And eventually it was, hey, Abram, you're going to go through an incredibly painful surgery that you're going to do with your own hand and do to every man in your household. If you know, you know. To make it a little bit more clear, Abraham was 100 years old when he went through circumcision. That's following in obedience. The Lord said it and he did it. And every step of obedience led him into further reliance on the Lord, led him into further acknowledgement of who God is and further reverence in the presence of God. Everywhere he went, he built a temple. Everywhere he went, he made where he was attractive to the manifest presence of God. Do you know the difference between Abram and Abraham? So right there up on the screen, that's the Hebrew for Abram and Abraham respectively. Recently, I've been learning, and this is really cool, this like blew my mind when I learned it. In the ancient Hebrew, every letter has attributed meanings. They go all the way from, I mean, the, the, so Hebrew is read backwards to us English readers. So the first character or the last character, if you're looking in English, is Aleph. That, that letter has no pronunciation. The way that they say is like, it's like the sound that you make right before you say the A in apple. That letter is a symbol for God or for holiness. But what's the difference between those two names? So you have Abram and Avraham. The difference is the letter Hey. And hey has the attributed meanings of divine revelation or the breath of God, the ruach, the breath of God. In other words, Abram, in accepting the breath of God, allowed the transformation into his life. He was then changed by the breath of God to become Abraham, Avraham. <laughs> that process took a long time. Let's, let's look one more time at that original promise, which is chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. There's kind of four parts to that. There's the implied and later uh, expounded upon air. There is the peoples, the nation, the blessed peoples. There is the blessing and then there is the blessing. 
So to give you a little bit of context, one last bit of context. From the call of Abram, back when he was 75, it took 25 years to the birth of Isaac. 465 years to the arrival of the promised land. And 2,000 years to the death and resurrection of the Son of God. If Abram would have tried to push the promise that he was given, it would have been impossible. God promised him back in chapter 15. Apologies. Yeah, 15. That he would die peacefully. I don't know about you, but if I was trying to force something that was supposed to happen in 2,000 years to happen in my day and age, I wouldn't die peacefully. The promise was never the prize. The nearness and communion with God and the building of his kingdom was and is the prize. The house that Maddie and I were infatuated with, that wasn't the prize. That wasn't even the promise. The promise was establishing community. The promise was stepping into family. We had a lot of growing to do. It wasn't just about that house. So to close, I want to create some space. We don't have too much time. But I want you to think on that promise that God laid on your mind. We're all in this room we're all in different stages of the promise. Maybe you haven't received it yet. Maybe you've received it, but you feel like you're walking in a, the complete opposite direction because of where the Lord is currently leading you. Maybe you're in the process of trying to push it or you're experiencing the consequences of pushing the promise. Maybe, maybe you feel like you arrived. Maybe you feel like the child of promise has come to you. Maybe you haven't experienced the test afterwards. Maybe you have. But I want to, in this time, invite the Ruach, invite the breath of God into your mind and into your understanding of his vision and his promise for you. I also want to speak to the people, specifically the people who are dealing with the consequences of pushing the promise. Maybe you feel like you've been discounted from receiving the full promise. Maybe you feel like you passed it by, that you did the wrong thing and so God is withholding it from you. Did God withhold the promise from Abram? No. Multiple times he reaffirmed it. And again, we have the benefit of seeing the end. We see that the child of promise came. That the child of promise was then blessed. His child was then blessed. His lineage was then blessed. They walked into the promised land and were blessed. Then the thread 
came down to Christ Jesus who blessed the entire world. 2,000 years of promise. I, in the middle of worship, I was reminded of a, uh, of a silly kids show that I was watching with my daughters yesterday. And it's a, it's a fun little show. And, you know, it's got these bright colors and it's really fun for the kids. But there was a message in this show that moved me to tears. And I was reminded of it here in worship. And what God was saying to me in that moment was that the things that I showed you as a child that made you joyful are the same things that will make you weep when you've experienced them. That he will take us from the joy of not understanding the ignorance, the bliss of ignorance. And once we experience just a taste, just a glimpse of the promise, it will move us to weep in his presence. So I just want to pray over this room, over the promise or the vision that you have or are yet to receive. But Jesus... You know the call that you've placed over these people's lives, whether they know it or not. And I just invite the Holy Spirit, the breath of the living God, to come and to invade us. Change our names, change our identity, change our understanding. So that when we attain the promise, we can only sustain it from you. That we can look at the promise and know that it wasn't us. That you were the only one that could have made it happen. So let's just rest in that for a moment.